This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. And this week's episode is a special derby day. Uh, Dave, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. <laughs> As you can tell if you're viewing this on YouTube, uh, we've got one blue and one red in the studio <laughs> today. That wasn't my idea, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still going to be unbiased, but obviously it's a bit of an alternative take compared to a previous Derby episode, because obviously I've been with Christian in the past. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time covering Brighton. Um, then we're going to look ahead to the Derby, as I said. Probably going to be a bit of a shorter episode because we're going to readdress the Derby results on Thursday or Friday this week. So two episodes this week, um, but yeah, we'll get we'll get straight into it and we'll we'll, we'll look back at Brighton, two one win again. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what no, did you I think? Did. You was in the ground, wasn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was on. It was on the way to being a very comfortable um, afternoon for for Liverpool, and then that madness happened in the second half with with Allison, and it got a little bit, a little bit more nervous, but. As we discussed before, it it still felt in control. Is that that fair to say? Um, which is typical of Liverpool, really. So, yeah, another another two one win and a, another important win. Yeah, no, I mean for me, we were in control for large periods. I think I think Brighton offered exactly what I expected them to offer in terms of good progressive football at times, fairly well organised, mm-hmm. certainly on the right track and that sort of thing. Um, not particularly cutthroat just yet. Um, not really gonna, pu- not really inclined to punish you just yet. But still, a, a good team in the making. I think that's, that's yeah. relatively safe to say. They just seem to have a, a direction, don't they? Like you could yeah. imagine them to be. I mean, te- team to notice next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, we gave them a boost last week, didn't we? Definitely, and a couple yeah. of hours later, I think he got, he got a, a, a secured yeah, deal or something yeah, like yeah. that. Contract extension on the back of our show, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. We've got, we've got listeners across the board. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it was a it was a decent performance from Liverpool's perspective up until a point of madness mm. with uh, with Allison. Which I mean, we, we'll address that now. Actually, what what was he doing? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't doing? know. I said to you, you know, um, he plays almost like a sweeper keeper. He's instructed to, isn't he? And he, to, if the ball goes over the the high line, and he seems capable of coming off his line to intercept the ball, clear the ball, then he'll then he'll do it. And he had done that once or twice just before the incident. And I don't know, maybe it was just an eagerness to be involved in the game. You know, Brighton weren't really peppering his goal, were they? You know, it'd been a fairly easy afternoon up until that point. And I guess, yeah, that was it. Just an eagerness to kind of kill the attack when he didn't really need to. Bit of a mad, mad, mad decision. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the whole concept of a sweeper keeper, I suppose. And when you play in a high line, it is it is a, a benefit to have a keeper that's comfortable coming out like that. Mm. But you know, in in the moments, you could tell he was kind of caught between two decisions: yeah. whether to back off, whether to go forwards. Um, and strangely, he opted to go forwards. I think it was still safe enough to you can retreat. I'm not sure he was going to get lobbed if he did retreat. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was just a difficult, difficult one. And Allison is usually spot on when it comes to position as well. He's usually, mm-hmm. he's a master of that sort of thing. But he got this one wrong. Um, 
It's funny, isn't it? I know it's all split seconds, but had he got lobbed and he scored, you know, Liverpool still would have been in a better position because obviously what then happened from the from the set piece. Yeah. I, I, think, I mean, it's all hindsight, of course, but... Yeah, I think when he goes forward, it's almost instinct to just put your arm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he'll, env- he'll have envisaged doing that. But what else can you do in a situation oh, yeah, like that? As I said, a moment of madness. But uh, if you look yeah. at the XG timeline, the expected goals timeline, you know, yeah, that's nice clean there. Before, yeah. It's quite clear that up, up until the actual moment, uh, Brighton have got an XG of about 0.4, which is on its way to a clean sheet, really. Yeah. Um, and then things change. And then after Allison sending off, I think Brighton had five shots and they only had 12 in the whole match. So it, it did change the game. Um, the expected goals finished at 1.8 for Liverpool and 1.1 for Brighton. 15 shots for Liverpool, 12 to Brighton. That looks closer than you think, but as I said, a lot of that was influenced by by the sending off, just completely changing the game. Yeah, but basically up until this was it around the 70 minute mark, the red cards wasn't it there or thereabouts. Yeah, it was a even in the XG, it was a, a arguably a two nil, a two nil lead and going on to be a two nil game, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and that just obviously changed the narrative a little bit. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting and you know follows the theme of this show. That both of Liverpool's goals set pieces. Mm. Mm. Uh, having said that, I, I didn't pick up on a great a great deal that that suggested that Liverpool had, had done intricate work behind no. the scenes. Annoyingly, because I know I love it. I think you do as well. I love when there's just these little details that the there was one detail. Work on. Oh, go on. I picked up on. Well, for the for the first goal, the first goal is a free kick, isn't it? Mm. In Trent's Trent's zone, basically the Trent, the zone that Trent is always in. Um, but Brighton defended with Zonal Marken mm. and he kept, you know, the traditional, well, not just the traditional, the, the modern high line. Yeah. Um, and Liverpool have got Salah and Trent over the ball. Salah runs up to him and steps over it. And that forces Brighton's Zonal Marken line back about maybe two or three yards mm. or so. Okay, yeah. And then Trent delivers. Yeah. I think one thing that Liverpool have, have, have got really spot on, City get it spot on all the time, is you, your line doesn't budge until the ball is actually kicked. Mm. And the amount of players we catch offside as a result of that is, is you know, it makes a real difference when you're defending those set-piece situations. But because Salah stepped over the ball, it just impacted uh, where, where Brighton's line was positioned. Yeah. And, you know, Van Dijk ends up getting a free header. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh... Do you... Do you have a little look at it now if, you, if you're going to go on bicycle. Yeah, or, or yeah, whatever. I've got. I, I yeah. do. Yeah, I do vaguely remember the the dummy run because they seem to they, they seem to do it. But um, but it's, it's yeah, I didn't real, notice the impact it had like that. To be honest, I didn't. Yeah, no, it's it's a real subtle subtle intricacy that yeah. most people would overlook and most teams wouldn't even do because it's deemed as pointless. But if it can force a defensive line back by about you know two or three yards or so, yeah, when the free kick in itself is about. 30 yards, 25 yards out, it's yeah. going to make a real difference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, both both of Van Dijk's headers, I thought, were, you know, relatively easy chances, to be honest, very easy to score. I thought they, they were just gi- giveaways, basically, from yeah. Brighton's perspective. I think they'll be disappointed with those. I mean, yeah, we say, we, we say they're easy, but, you know, it is, it is again down to the work that Liverpool clearly do through the week, every week on them. You know, at 20 last season, they scored set pieces... Eight this season, twenty-eight over 
what like a season and a half, not, not even that is is bonkers, really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's. I think Bournemouth have got the the most set piece goals this season with nine. Then to Liverpool, obviously Liverpool, Liverpool's twenty was the highest last season, and I was actually looking at it, and if you think about it, nine of Liverpool's last twelve points over the past four games have been won with set piece goals, haven't they? Uh, nine think? of Liverpool's last twelve. So if you think about it, you got luck. You've got Brighton, which was uh, obviously two set-piece goals and a 2-1 win. Palace, yeah. you got Palace as well, where Mane's header. Uh, no, sorry, Firmino's header. Um, City was the 3-1, but then the game before that was Villa. Villa, yeah. Yeah. So if you, th- if you think about it, yeah. that's, that's you know, if you look at the, the lead that Liverpool have now got at the top of the table, if, he, if they even picked up only, you know, half the points there, that, that lead is not as comfortable as it is at the moment. So it just shows how important the set pieces are for, for Klopp's side. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bournemouth there. I think if there's one thing that Liverpool and Bournemouth have both got in common at the minute, it's that they've both got coaches that have been in charge for a long time. Mm. And I think these are the types of things, these are the types of things that if you do have a long-term coach in place, these are the really small details that you can gradually work on mm. and that start making a difference. Whereas if you're, if you've been in charge for maybe, I don't know, six months, 18 months or so, you haven't really got round to this sort of stuff, really, yeah, have you? You've got more considered pressing matters to, uh, matters to deal yeah. with, haven't you? Yeah, uh, like Liverpool have had an established 4-3-3 now for, for years and uh, to the extent that, with the exception of repetitions here and there, Klopp doesn't really have to introduce any new work on it and that sort of thing, so no. you can dedicate more time to set pieces <coughs> and things. And no, that's an important detail, it really is. Yeah, no, It says a lot that those two... Those two clubs are leading the way, innit? And, you know, City as well, you know, are there or thereabouts. And Guardiola's been there a lot longer than people realise now. He's been there about three or four years, hasn't he? So, yeah, it just shows that he kind of sticks with that theme of stability. Yeah, obviously, another note on that as well, just regarding recruitments. Obviously, a major perk of signing a player who's a, a, almost a useful tool from set pieces in Van Dijk. Mm. Obviously, a physically imposing player, six foot four, I think he is. Really builds one of the best I've seen here, really. And, you know, when you're considering from a transfer, transfer perspective and you're scouting a player, this is a thing that, that should come up. You know, the, the yeah. fact that how useful this play will be attacking set pieces, defending set pieces, and things like that. Um, quick word, thoughts on the Ballon d'Or? Second. Um, listen, you can be proud of coming second, can't you? Especially to Messi. I, th- I do think it's deserved. For, for Messi again, I, I I understand how how great Van Dyke's been, and you know potentially in the next year or two he could actually come first. But um, if anyone else was doing and putting the output that Messi was, and he, they had a different name, then they'd be probably nailed on for it as well. So yeah, but I do believe it'll be Messi's last year winning it. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's interesting. I Why, mean, what do you think? I can see. I mean, I suppose it depends. It depends how the season goes. Like, if Liverpool go on to win the Premier League and do another Champions League season, which is entirely possible based mm. on this Liverpool team, then Van Dijk is willing with the shout again. I think Mane will be in with the shout again and, and, and players like that. But I haven't spotted a decline in, in Messi at the minute. Um, and he's still posting ridiculous numbers. I've got no issue, by the way, with Van Dijk finishing second to Messi. Uh, tweeted about it last night and one of the responses that I got and the lad actually ended up blocking me <laughs> <laughs> one of the responses that I got was that it's an award for 
the calendar year, not for who's the best over the course of a career. So I felt the need to respond to the lad saying Messi played 50 league matches this season, 50 competitive matches this season for his club, scoring 51. Yeah, it's bonkers. 22 assists as well. Imagine, for example, Mo Salah posted that. Yeah, I know. There'd be it. all kinds of calls for him to be yeah, getting the awards. So. It. It's just, it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs, really, that with Messi, you kind of just become so accustomed to it that, you know, yeah. a lot of people probably, not not even Liverpool fans, neutrals, were like, oh, it'd be nice to see Van Dijk win for something different, but it's, it's not Messi's fault. Yeah, He's me- just so good. Yeah, a, a six out of 10 season from Messi, seven out of 10 season from Messi is still the best in Europe, yeah, yeah. which is crazy to yeah. say. Um, he, he shouldn't be a victim of, of his own standards just because a couple of years ago he scored 70 I think it yeah, was in the calendar year it doesn't it, mean yeah. that now we should just start giving it to random players mm. uh, but we'll move on anyway <laughs> speaking of Salah did get a little bit of criticism uh, mm. supposedly had 18 touches on the day yeah. uh, 10 passes attempted um, I've got a bit of a theory on this I'm not sure about, about yourself so have I actually but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll let you go first Um well, for, for me, I think he's a player that we've obviously addressed on this show in terms of he takes plenty of risks on the ball. Yeah. Ultimate data player in that regard because he's clearly posting a lot of output in the in the final third. Lots of shots, lots of chances created. Gives the ball away a lot as a consequence. Things like that. When he's carrying a niggle, though, or, or you know, a little, a little tweak in, you know, away from full fitness and, and things like that, he still attempts as many things on the pitch. Still goes along with the whole risk-taking thing. Mm. But his execution is a little bit off for me. When he's got the, it, We saw that last season with the when he was saying from the dislocated shoulder. And we're seeing that now he's got a little bit of an ankle problem. What and is it, the ankle problem now? Do, do, we, do we know that? Yeah, it was um, Hamza Chowdhury for Leicester. Oh, okay, yeah. oh yeah, it, I remember and, now. And it was yeah. a case of something to do with like each week before each match Liverpool would have to drain the fluid from his ankle oh, whatever yeah. that means sounds um, gross either way yeah, yeah it does <laughs> but I think when he's got that slight knock his execution takes a knock mm. while he's still attempting the same amount of things mm-hmm. and I think that that influences basically how bad he looks on the pitch when he's trying the same things as usual most of the time at least I mean, 18 touches is a little bit uncharacteristic of him, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I agree to an extent, yeah. I think at that at that level, you know, you need to be... If, if you're not at 100%, then it, it can be it can be spotted quite easy and you can struggle. But my, my theory is a little bit different. I, I just wonder whether playing with Trent behind him is, is hindering him a little bit. It's not a bad joke that I haven't heard that one before. Because... I'm just, I've got it up here, you want to I was having a look at Trent's pass map from the game and we've talked so many times about it, how he's, he's almost like Liverpool's playmaker, isn't he? And if you look at the amount of crossfield balls that he has, crosses into the box and yeah. crosses into central areas, you know, is that affecting Salah um, receiving passes from his, from his right back? And according to Scouts, he only received 12 passes in the game, Salah. And I think, it, let me just check this... Yeah, although the uh, bear in mind, obviously Salah played seventy minutes, but him and Trent, um, I think they linked up about eight times in the game. On the opposite flank, Robinson and Manny linked. Robertson and Mane linked up on twenty three occasions. Yeah. 
So I just wonder whether that's that's a, an issue at the moment. Where what was it? Twenty three compared to what? Uh, eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. Which is poor, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um. So um, we've already talked about Salah being an output merchant. If he's having less less impact on the game or less chances to influence the game, then obviously he's got uh, less all round impact in the fixture. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know no, what you think of that. That's an assistant take. That yeah, I do mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's way of looking back at when Salah did have that that monumental season. Mm-hmm. Who was the right back behind him? Because it won't have been Trent for the full season. Yeah, no. He, he gradually still, he was still young, a kid. He? You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting take. I think I don't think Trent Trent is the type to go for the simple ball, really, is he? No, no. He um, obviously because he's capable of of so much more. Yeah, he's, um, you know his frame of vision's open to the whole the whole pitch basically from, yeah. from the flank. So. I think he's less inclined to just look down his line and give Salah the ball. Yeah. Just and take like. Yeah, so that 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 could be the case. Uh, maybe something that we'll investigate a little bit more in the future if if this continues with with Salah. Yeah. Um but in terms of you mentioned there further investigation. Mm. Liverpool conceded again. Yeah. Um obviously it was a a weird a weird means of conceding mm. because uh, the whole free kick thing and all that. Um, By the way, just on the free kick, do you think do you blame anyone from a Liverpool point of view, or do you think it's well worked by Dunk? It's frustrating and it's weird from the perspective of the referee because mm. we, as a fan base, we seem to think that Martin Atkinson basically doesn't like us. I know, <laughs> I know that that's a common refereeing thing. No referee likes your team and that, but Atkinson does do some weird things every now and then. But having said that. I haven't got much of a problem with it. I think it was on Liverpool to just, especially eight, we, we were taking a lot of time. Mm. Um, and if the, if if the free kick sets, if the wall's relatively set, you know you, you can't just be taking days to be, to just hang about basically. Mm. So, intuitive from from Dunk's perspective, the referee went along with it because because he could, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and I found a bottom corner. So uh, you know, with things like that, I'm I'm less inclined to just say to the referee, "It's your fault." Yeah, I think it's healthier to to look at yourself. Yeah, no, I agree. Take some ownership. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, that's Liverpool fair. did exactly that to Barcelona. You yeah, know, well, Liverpool are masters of it. I think that's maybe why there was less complaints. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't often get done by that sort of thing, but you know, fair play when it does happen. Uh, but yeah, Liverpool conceded again, so it reached a point whereby I have looked into it. I've accepted that it's weird. <laughs> Here we go. So. <laughs> This is interesting though. I've actually looked into it right beyond the the glances that I've had in the past couple of weeks and I've I've came to a conclusion. I've got a theory was, on was this. Is this what we were doing in London last week? What you were looking at? Uh, no. Oh, no, okay. that was different that. Uh, this has been purely today and I've wrote a piece on it as well and that's going up today. I'm going to post it on my Twitter. So if you haven't read that piece yet, you're getting the numbers exclusively now <laughs> over uh, audio. Uh, but it's interesting because I think Liverpool, right, are inclined to... When Klopp first came to England, he was really intense, obviously, ferocious, all, all that sort of thing, with and without the ball. And a couple of times, Gary Neville expressed his concerns regarding would Liverpool be able to do that, though, for 38 matches to that level. Mm. Um, and I think... In previous seasons, we've had a little bit of a drop-off, particularly in January. Um, not sure whether it's been physical or, or what, but 
and I think gradually Liverpool have mastered being able to manage your workload and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we're still doing that. And I think we're trying to manage our workload almost during matches. I think we almost have gears, Liverpool. And I think if we've got the match virtually won, we go into first gear, cruise control and that sort of thing. Whereas if we're chasing a result, if we're behind or whatever it may be, I think then you see Liverpool's fifth gear. Mm. And you see Liverpool's fifth gear against top sides like Arsenal or Anfield when mm. they came to Anfield early in the season. Spurs, you know, just pen them in for the entire match. And I think Liverpool's first gear is costing um, clean sheets at the minute. And so just to be clear, you're, um, you're, you're saying that you think in-game they are slowing down. I think Liverpool are in, intentionally, yeah, in the final 15 minutes of matches, slowing down, basically. Yeah. I was taking, just wanna, taking the foot off the gas. Just want to give a nod to uh, Tom Stewart as well, who, who obviously was asking questions about this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the question he did ask was on my mind. It was something Yeah, no, I said that mind. to him, so... Um, but I'll, I'll go into the numbers anyway. Yeah, this is for you anyway, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Liverpool conceded... Um, 12 Premier League goals this season. Six of those have been after the 76th minute. So at 50% of Liverpool's goals have came after the 76th minute. Um, we have faced 41 shots after the 76th minute. Now, behind that, if you split the match up into 15-minute periods, the worst period is between the 16th and the 30th minute we've faced 27 shots. So, you know, after the 76th minute, it goes up to 41 that we've faced. Uh, I looked at last season. After the 76th minute last season, we faced a total in the whole season of 60. It's already 41. Mm. That's after 14 matches played. So it's going to obviously probably uh, overtake that. Yeah, but considerably, yeah. yeah. Um, the expected goals as well. It's clear, again, um, we've been expected to concede about 4.2 goals after the 76th minute. And again, the worst period before that, Caesar's expected to concede about 2.8. So we seem, and another thing I should note as well, we've conceded six goals after the 76th minute. We've only scored six as well. Um, it's the only period of the match Again, if you split it up into 15-minute periods, it's the only period of the match that we're not winning. Um, between minute 1 and minute 15, for example, 4-2. Between minute 16 and minute 30, 6-1. Between minute 31 and 45, Liverpool wins 7-1. And then 5-0 and then 4-2. And then, as I said, it gets to the 76th minute and beyond and it's 6-all in that period. Um, and... Just go into a little bit more detail now on that. Um, so Liverpool were 4-0 up against Norwich and conceded. 2-0 up against Southampton and conceded. 3-0 up against Arsenal and conceded. 2-0 up against Chelsea and conceded. 3-0 up to Manchester City and conceded. And 2-0 up to Brighton and we conceded. So I think it's a case of Liverpool's defence being largely the same as last season. But the whole energy management thing mm. whereby 
taking your foot off the gas and saving yourself almost for the latter stages of the season whereby you're facing Bayern Munich in the Champions League and things like that. Save yourself if the match is won. And I think we're doing it to the extent that it's not particularly healthy um, and we're conceding as a result of it, we're facing more shots as a result of it and, and, and that sort of thing. So do you think it's more... Um, <clears throat> like? So do you think it's intentional or do you think there's an element of complacency coming into it? I think it's a bit of both. I think people would be inclined to look at those numbers and think it's complacency, Liverpool are stopping. But I do think there will be a, a, a load management aspect to it whereby... We are inclined to just if the match is won, you know, don't kill yourselves. Basically, mm. don't don't keep going full throttle when you yeah, don't need to fair, save yeah. yourself. Liverpool are, are, are playing a match every three days for like the ne- the next two months or something. Mm. So, if you can save yourself during matches, then do it. But at the minute, I think it's costing clean sheets. I think that's the main reason we we haven't we've only kept two clean sheets in the Premier League all season. Mm. I think it's because of that. Obviously, fifty percent of our goals after the seventy six minute. That's that's notable. Yeah. Um, don't have any thoughts. No, yeah, no, I totally agree. I don't know the up-to-date numbers, but I know I, I did a little gander last week. Not to that extent, just in mainly looking at goals. And yeah, it was it was upwards of 60-odd percent of Liverpool's goals conceded that come in the final 30 minutes. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. I, I mentioned it actually, that it hadn't cost them any points. I do wonder whether if you keep doing that week in, week out, it will eventually cost you points because we know the tangibles in a game and, you know, a goal can come from nothing really. Say, for for example, on Saturday, after that, it went 2-1, you know, a ball into the box, bounces off, sorry to pick on him, say Lovren's head and goes into the back of the net and suddenly the points drop there. Then it is leaving a lot more to chance, isn't it? Yeah. Like, with these one goal margin uh, leads. So, I don't know. It, it, but then, is it a catch-22? Do they have to do this to survive the, the busy periods? That's what I mean. It's it's yeah. it's long-term plan, if you like. Mm. Just to manage your energy level. Just don't overexert yourself if you don't have to. But, as I said, our defence looks to have taken a hit as a consequence of that. Um, it's not just the goals that are going in. We're clearly facing more shots as well in that period of the match and we're, mm. we're, we're facing you know, expected goals is higher and things like that. Yeah. So it's one to keep an eye on. A uh, little bit of a concern, but if, if you can shore that up, then you start keeping more clean sheets and your defence is back to normal and yeah. people stop talking about it. But mm. uh, Plus, you know, as you said before, some of the goals have been a bit, a bit fluky. Yeah. You know, the, 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 yeah. the one against Brighton probably wouldn't have happened without that moment of madness. You know, the, the Newcastle goal was, I know he scored against... That uh, was earlier in the match, that one though. Yeah, but what I mean, sorry, is it was still, it was still a bit, you know, a, a kind of hit into the top corner that he doesn't do every week. I know yeah. he scored against City on the weekend, but yeah. Wilhelm is it? Willem, yeah. Willem, sorry, Willem, yeah. Willem, sorry, Jetro Willems, I think it is. He scored a great goal at Anfield, yeah. but I said he doesn't do every week. And there's been a few of them where they've just been a bit of a moment of randomness. Yeah, one of them where have you said, you know, go on, do it again. Then. Yeah, you yeah. You wouldn't be able to. Exactly. So, I don't think it's as bad as it seems, but. Liverpool fans will start feeling better when they do get a few more clean sheets on the board. Yeah, but uh, interesting theory anyway on uh, Liverpool's defence. And as I said, a piece of mine is going up on that. So check me Twitter if you want to read through it in a bit more depth. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We will move on anyway to the, the main purpose of the, the pod, the main purpose of the week, I suppose. 
Uh, the Derby. How do you, how you feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think Everton would have preferred this game at a different points in the season, but... Um, they do say, though, don't they, that these can these can be a blessing sometimes if, if you need a bit of a boost. I think that, I think they've got a, a really tough run, and I, I, I think you would actually welcome it because, you know, it does give you that extra little bit of motivation. I think from an Everton perspective, you'd be more confident than Goodison. You know, the record at Anfield is just weighing them down at the moment. Yeah. To the point where... It's weird. Yeah, it's crazy. For for two Premier League sides, and bear in mind, obviously now Liverpool are just really, really one of the best teams in the world, if not the best. They're up there. But over the, the course of the last 20 years, you know, Liverpool have had some, by their standards, poor sides. And Everton have had some good ones, but... It just shows really the psychological psychological aspects of of fixtures that do come into play at this level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what's Devon on the weekend against Leicester? Obviously, there was a, a formational switch, mm. which I think will be kept for him. Um, I do. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's any players that are that are now back fit, but Everton switched to a a five four one without the ball. Yeah. Um. Which Leicester obviously struggled to break down for large periods up until the change. It's meant to be a three-four-three, isn't it? But as you've just touched on there, it's basically a five-four-one without the ball and then yeah. trying to break out. Yeah, I mean, obviously your formation will depend on if you if you've got a back three. If you see more of the ball, then it'll be a back three. Mm. If you see less of the ball, it'll be a, a back five. Mm. And I think at Anfield, I'm inclined to think Liverpool will dominate possession. Yeah. Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson in central midfield, <laughs> which I was surprised at at the time. But you obviously said that 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 derives from a lack a lack of options, basically. Pretty much, yeah. They've, um, I've touched on before, and more so on the um, the analysing evidence show that we do that for all um, the faults the side have had this season, they have been so unlucky, um, particularly with injuries through the middle. And yeah, they've just got a lack of fit central midfielders. You know, Sigurdsson isn't a central midfielder. I'm not sure what Sigurdsson is actually, but um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think he's a central midfielder. But they've had to they've had to play him, unfortunately. Um, I, to be honest with you, I don't I didn't watch the game and thought think he was a huge hindrance at all. But um, I didn't, but particularly late confident. on, yeah, particularly late on, I, I think a lot of Leicester's breaks originated from the centre of the park mm. and being able to assume possession behind. Davis and Sigurdsson, yeah. which obviously is something that I'm assuming Liverpool will pick up on. Say, for example, if Firmino just drops off behind Sigurdsson or something like that. I think the way Everton are going to have to try and counter that is they're going to have to try and bring one of the three men from um, the central defence to follow him. Yeah. Or it's then a, it's then a, a channel open up. Yeah, it's, it's, up. It's, it's, it's risky. Um, but yeah, the, the problem with Sigurdsson and Davis is there's no ball retention in the middle, really. No, Davis is a little bit inclined to be a little bit more attack-minded in his passing, um, which, as we know and as we discuss, can often um, lead to loose balls or giving the ball away. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's not a perfect midfield by by any stretch. And it actually makes me think that Liverpool should probably focus more on building through the midfield in this fixture. Yeah, I mean, you know, what what are your general thoughts on Everton then? Because from an objective standpoint, we obviously analysed them last week for the first... Analyzing Everton episode, um, but objectively, according to the numbers, they don't look that bad. 
mm. particularly in on the defensive side. And I said to you before, considering he's supposedly experiencing his last days at, mm. at Everton, you know, Marco Silva, I'm not massively looking forward to facing Everton. I'm not mm. inclined to think this will be an easy game. You looked at the numbers before, didn't you? And they don't really ever suffer heavy defeats. No. So, like, I was in the... I was in the ground for Roberto Martinez's last match in charge. Oh, and Fields. Yeah. Yeah. We won 4 0. Mm. I think we had something like 42 attempts. <laughs> the cop was singing Bobby Martinez. Mm. So but they might still be singing Marco Silva on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah. No, but that's what I mean. I, 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 don't, I think Liverpool at that point was. I expected that result. I expected mm. dominance. I, I, yeah. I wanted Martinez to keep the mm. job. Silva, um, yeah, I think he's got you well drilled. Defensively without the ball, it's, it's a bit weird. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's it, it is bizarre. The um, I mean, where to start? Really, yeah. They they tend to defend well. You know, they haven't got on paper. They haven't got a great defensive records. Um. To, but as you know, on this show, we look at the underlying numbers and the on paper they're not a bad side. And in terms of performance levels, that. The table doesn't do them justice. They should be closer to around eighth or ninth in the league, which obviously they have aspirations to be higher. But as I said, the the table is a little bit misleading at the moment. They've been really unlucky in big moments and in such a low scoring game like football, you know, a goal can basically change the results as we know. And they've had so many go against them. We saw it against Leicester on Sunday and there was a VAR decision against Brighton, which potentially cost them three points, never mind a point. Um, but yeah, the defensively, they are pretty solid. You know, I've said before, last time I checked, they've faced the fifth fewest Just shots. Just going to check like that out. Second, yeah. As of last weekend, they, they'd faced the fifth fewest shots in Europe's top five leagues, which obviously we, we know that now, but I imagine there's a few people listening who are quite shocked by that. Um, but the, the issue is they've got the the highest XG per shot in the Premiership. Uh, Premiership, I'm going back 10 years there. <laughs> uh, in the Premier League. This week I'm joined by Andy Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got the highest XG per shot in in the Prem. Um, and I think it was the third highest across Europe's top five leagues, which basically tells you that, yet they don't face many shots, but the shots they do face tend to be of a really clear-cut, high quality. Yeah, they are still fifth. Yeah. Uh, surrounded by... Good teams, you know. Elite sides, really, isn't it? There's only yeah. I mean, hang on a sec. Let me just do P ninety eight. So fourth, actually. Mm. So the 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 lowest team somehow. We'll we'll have to look at these in Europe's top five leagues for shots faced. P ninety is Getafe. <laughs> they only face six point three. P ninety. Then Manchester City, then Real Madrid, then Everton. Um. Which you know offers an insight into how yeah. difficult they are to actually generate shots against, and that was the case last season as well. Yeah, difficult team to actually generate shots against, but mm. the problem is with Everton. Once you do generate those shots, they're obviously quite clear cut. But considering the derby, the focus of of players during the derby, determination and mm. all that, I'm inclined to think those clear cut chances will come less, even yeah. though it's a better team in Liverpool mm. than than normal. I just think you're that bit more focused, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Yeah, you know, Anfield and stuff. It, it, you know, you've got to be at the top of your game. The, the adrenaline will be pumping very early on. I'm sure it is at every game, but for this one, 
you know, probably a, a bad sleep tonight for for the players and stuff. Um, and yet, you know, a big problem for Everton was they, they tried to be a pressing team or they've tried to be, haven't they? Um, no, they had the second most aggressive press in the Premier League last season. At times it's been like that, but Silvers seems to be um, certainly against sides who were on paper better. So it was the case against Leicester, it was the case against Tottenham and City. He seems to be happy to sit more in a, I wouldn't say low block, I'd say no, medium I'd say, block. I'd say mid block, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, for example, last season, their average PPDA was around nine and against Leicester it was 17 so you're probably going to see something very similar at Liverpool maybe 30% possession of the ball yeah it's uh, it's kind of like that that Klopp approach you know when he first came to England mm-hmm. it was like in big matches you can have the ball yeah we'll press you into mistakes mm-hmm. when you open up a trap for us yeah. and then when, when you make that mistake we'll we'll punish it immediately mm-hmm. that's sim- I mean, Everton is similar in that way I think um, but you know the issue is, despite being defensively good for the most part, they don't tend to have a great deal in attack. No. Uh, strange attacking players, which I've said plenty of times now on, on Analyze and Everton. Yeah. Just weird profiles that don't benefit one another. No. Like Firmino benefits Salah, for example. Yeah. Um, I haven't got the numbers, but I'd, I'd, I'd say just going off eye test alone, you know, they're not great in terms of working open play shots. Yeah, well, the seventh in the league for shots taken, mm-hmm. uh, but 14th for expected goals, which obviously says that the XG per shot is obviously bad. Yeah. So they're taking an okay amount of shots, but when those shots come, they're not really worth much, mm. hence why the 14th for XG. Yeah. Um, not very good at, at all at creating clear-cut chances, which doesn't bode well considering they're facing, for me, the best defence in Certainly in England. Yeah. Uh, not sure about your but Yeah, I think Everton's main form of attack, which, you know, I was actually critical of this recently in another show we did, and I take it back a little bit because I've had, I've had more of a look at it and they've scored, sorry, I should specify, their main form of attack tends to be working the ball out wide through the fullbacks and putting crosses into the box. Now, I was critical because I think they can be over-reliant on it. Um They've put the third highest number of crosses in the division with 289 behind only Liverpool and City. But obviously Liverpool and City have got different forms of attack where sometimes Everton haven't. But they have scored seven header goals this season, which is half of all the league goals scored. So they can be a threat in the air, to be fair. And look, I think they, they've got a big issue coming up against Lovren and Van Dijk in the, in the air. But through... Digne and Sidibe, who are on the whole good attackers from out wide, they could be showing chances to cross the ball into the box if uh, Liverpool's fullbacks are caught. Um, I've just, yeah. just, just what you've said then, I just thought about that then and I thought to myself, Liverpool don't tend to concede many from headers, you know. So I've just got up, Europe's top five leagues this season conceded goals from headers and Liverpool uh, joint best in Europe alongside a host of other teams for it, to be fair I think there's about there's four Premier League sides yeah there's, top, a, there's about 30 well not 30 about 20 to 30 teams in Europe that have only conceded one uh, one header Liverpool are one of them alongside Newcastle Sheffield United Watford 
and then you know a host of other European teams. I'll check last season as well. Uh, again, Liverpool only won throughout the whole of last season in Europe's top five leagues. Have this season one yet? This season one. Oh, okay, one. So last last season, so that's the one gone for this season, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> last season, Liverpool were the only team in Europe's top five leagues to concede one header. Yeah. Got Barcelona on two headers, Atletico Madrid on two headers, Lille on three, Bayern Munich on three. But you know that that shuts down a little bit. I suppose what Everton's major threat is. I suppose you could you could uh, paint it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. I, th- I think maybe just in terms of getting balls from wide areas into the box, because I think there will be a chance that they, they could be bestowed some time uh, or some opportunities to work the ball out from wide if Liverpool's full-backs have pushed on and been caught out a little bit. But yeah, it doesn't bode well, does it really? If that's that's their main form of attack and they're coming up against that centre-back pa- pair. And so it will be tough from an attacking point of view. Yeah, I mean, their problems in attack for me... The whole setup at Everton reminds me a little bit of Liverpool from a couple of years ago on the on the pitch at least. Mm. Just because when Klopp first came in, obviously Klopp's a a pressing coach. He he never had to previously worry too much about the whole possession game because all of his chances would be created through pressing. Mm. Then he comes to England and plays against the likes of you know, Sam Allardyce and, and Sean Dyche and, and, and managers that are inclined to just say, are you going to press us? Okay, fine, we'll just hit the ball over you. Mm. So I think Liverpool had to develop a pressing game, but a possession game, sorry. But I think Evan at the minute, defensively quite good, good at the whole pressing thing. Um, with possession, they're relatively clueless. Yeah. Um, and when they do concede a chance, although they're defensively good, when a chance does come, it tends to be scored. Mm. Um, and Liverpool were like that. Yeah. Liverpool were defensively really good, good at pressing. When you give us all the ball, we were a bit less good. Um, and when we did concede, when we did face it, a quality chance, Mignolet had conceded. Mm. So I think that it's quite a similar situation. And the way, the way we got around that was possession work, but it was also just... Sign better players. Sign, sign players that are more threatened. We've now got Alexander Arnold at right back as opposed to Klein. Yeah. We've got Van Dijk centre back as opposed to maybe Scale, who, who it used to be. I've Robertson left back, you know, as opposed to yeah. uh, Moreno, who's a bit of a mess at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say that again. Yeah. I. Um, yeah. I, I've I've said before. I think Everton's biggest issue in terms of attacking is. The ball isn't retained well enough high up the pitch when when the when the forwards, you know, if you think about think about Liverpool best example, think about when they you know when they just pen sides in or yeah. they get to work to the edge eighteen yard box and there might be you know nine or ten opposition players camped in there, defensively in good shape, you know, fairly tough to play through, but Liverpool just working the ball side to side, you know. It comes, in, comes in waves, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, yeah. You know, just good movements off the ball, keeping the ball moving, making it really hard to just, for defenders to settle where there's, Everton can't seem to do that. They seem to get it up into the final third. They don't link very well with each other. And it's all about just trying to work the ball into the box as quick as possible and trying to get a shot off. And it's just, it's very easy to defend against. And I actually think Everton need to focus less on getting the goal, man. Less on getting the you know twenty goal a season striker, 
And more just getting players who can work the ball in the final third, have a little bit of composure. Yeah, players you can probe in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if they got that, you know, they'd be they'd be a much better attacking unit. Um but they haven't got that at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I suppose Awobi's uh, uh, probably the closest to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Awobi performs, you know, out of our bubble. He's perceived as not a great player. And, you know, Arsenal seem to get... People seem to think Arsenal got a really good deal on him, but we're both big fans of him, aren't we? And yeah. I think he'd go on to be one of Everton's best players. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he can perform in a fixture like this. Um, if he can be that kind of... I don't know, just that little bit of... That creative spark, for want of a better term. Yeah, um, I mean... You mentioned there about Everton's struggles when when required to break down a team. Mm. Um, do do you think it's it's relatively safe to say that if Liverpool score first, the game's basically tied up? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just yeah. because Everton have got, I mean, I'm not aware of the exact record, but you know their record in regards to conceding first and changing the game mid-match mm. is is terrible on the yeah. silver. They can't, they can't re- react. So the, a big fault with Everton is obviously football is is such a, um, it's such an ever-changing environment, isn't it? And, and I mean, a 90-minute match, it's it's constantly changing. You know, the storylines change and things happen that you, you don't expect or you can't plan for. And great sides like Liverpool, for example, adapt. If they can ski, concede a freak goal after 20 minutes, they adapt and they find ways to get through. You know, Everton don't have that. And I've said to you before, under Marco Silva, um, they've never come back to win a game when they've conceded first in a league that's a league game that is I think they did it once in the League Cup against Lincoln City um, oh yeah and their away record since January 17 they've played 52 games they've only won nine yeah so you good. know if you think about it they go behind away from home as well they're in trouble yeah um, it's going to be it's, it's going to be tricky if Everton do go behind I think yeah uh, but I, I, but good news for Liverpool <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah yeah I suppose it is yeah Um but I, th- I think it's going to be an interesting match. It's going to be, I expect it to be quite, quite cagey. Um, lots of play inside the midfield areas, mm. the ball pinballing about and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and I do think both teams will find it relatively difficult to create, you know, really easy to score chances and things like that. Um, don't know about yourself. No, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think so. All joking aside, you've probably, you know, Everton fans, or you've probably been talking to Everton fans who've been saying, you know, 4-5-0. I don't expect that, as a touch was. Uh, I don't expect that, but I expect Liverpool to find a way just because of how they've been this season. I think it'll be a low score and Liverpool win. Yeah, I think what, what you've just mentioned there about the whole, uh, you know, adapting mid-game and that, I think that stems back to what I said before on Liverpool conceding in terms of Liverpool having gears and, and things like that. I think we, 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 we've we reached a stage in our development whereby we know what is is required if we need to come back sort of thing, fifth yeah. gear. There's a confidence to it, isn't there? There's a, yeah, I believe You know, yeah. don't, don't panic. If there's 10 minutes to go, the Liverpool mindset is there's plenty of time. Yeah. You know, I imagine for Everton, it's, it's a little bit, you know, time's ticking away and start getting a little bit more panicked. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think yeah, that's a key difference. Yeah. So we will uh, we will wrap it up there, just so that we've still got enough to talk about for the second episode in the week that will come, mm. as I said, on Thursday or Friday. Um, but verdict, what do you think? You know what? 
I can't, I can't uh, come on the show being given a blue microphone and not have some sort <laughs> of support for Everton. So I'll, I'll say it'll be a real tight one-all draw. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go against that, I think. Yeah. No, I'm, really? I'm, I'm, yeah. I, 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 am, I am painting the pictures of Mark Lawson, to be honest, but <laughs> it's difficult not to, considering the stance of this team, but... No, I... Yeah. No, I think I I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go... Maybe 1-0 Liverpool. Mm. I don't think it'll be a, you know, a, a punishing or anything like that. Um, I think it'll be a tight cage affair, as I said. But, uh, yeah, hopefully Liverpool will get the win. Uh, not from your perspective, mm. obviously. Yeah. Uh, I just won't comment on that bit. I'm open <laughs> for the good game. Yeah, team Merseyside. Yeah, yeah, team Merseyside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, we we will wrap it up there. Uh, we'll back be back on Thursday or Friday to talk about obviously the derby results. Look ahead to Bournemouth, and probably a look ahead to Salzburg, considering the size of the match mm-hmm. and what it means. That'd be a good game, though. Looking forward to looking at that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, cheers. And. Uh, Tune in at the end of the week. See you later. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.